Did I flip it the right? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. Just making sure. Just making sure. Good morning again. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this morning for lots of reasons. Uh, one is definitely because this is VBS week, and uh, that's such a huge week. Uh, we've got over, over 50 volunteers from the church that have stepped up to help out throughout the week, but that doesn't mean we couldn't use you still. Um, there's all kinds of things, even just being a friendly face um, for some uh, to welcome people, to, to greet visitors, to, to welcome folks from the community that, that bring their kids to us and trust our kids, their kids with us for the week. Uh, it's such an exciting opportunity. And so I just, I do, I pray that you are in prayer with us throughout that week and that if you haven't been able to sign up to help and now you realize, oh, I could help, uh, there might even just be one night where maybe you could sneak in and help. Maybe we need a spot filled that night. And so uh, we would love to have you. Uh, the other side of that is we still have some work to do here. A lot, a lot, a lot of folks have stopped by over the last few days to do some decorating. If you've been downstairs, then you know that. Um, upstairs isn't quite revealed yet. There's going to be a crew here today starting at 2 um, to continue that and to transform this room um, into, I believe, the Cave of Wonders, I believe is its official title, uh, starting tomorrow. And so, um, what, did I miss it? What, what, no. Okay, anyway, um, so, so please, if you could come back after lunch and help just decorate today, that would be awesome. I know Prudence would be very, very, very grateful for your assistance in that. Uh, we, we need you for that. I hope that everybody got a bulletin insert. I actually didn't grab a bulletin yet today, so hopefully everybody got a bulletin insert. Is there an insert in your bulletin? I hope so, okay? Is there one in there? Did you get one? You didn't get one either? Oh, bummer. Um, I didn't get to grab one yet. I grabbed something else. Hopefully everybody has one of those, um, and then I also wanted to remind you that uh, these questions answered sheets will be outside. My wife um, told me that maybe I should just clarify that a little bit, and I will. Um, we sent out an email this week and as well as posted on the Facebook page so you can do this digitally. You don't have to do it via paper if you don't want to. But we're going to do a series toward the end of summer where we're just going to be beginning to answer some questions that people have about faith uh, and even life. There was one that came in via email um, at the end of the week that is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous one that I really pray that we get an opportunity to address um, dealing with the issue of mental health and things like that within the church. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping uh, that people continue to contribute those things. We want to ask for your input as well, and we won't cover all of them in this short series this summer, but we'll have them moving forward and have opportunities as they arise to address those questions. And so take a moment and uh, pick one of those sheets up out. Consider what God might lay on your heart, things that you have um, that to bring before that might just be a great benefit to your, your church body as a whole. And whoever honestly listens to these things online, you'd be surprised uh, where all these things make it uh, over the internet. So um, I'm excited about this week. I want to make sure you had a, a, an insert for the bulletin to close this series out because uh, it's important to the last thing that we, that we do today. Um, this is week number 32 in the book of John. It's our final week in the book of John. I told you last August we would end this right around the beginning of June. How'd I do? It's the first Sunday in June. I'm pretty excited that it fit perfect into the schedule that way because I had no idea whether it actually would or not. I, I'm just making that up, quite honestly, when we started. So, so I'm glad that I was right um, whenever I, I did all that. Hey, I've never done this before, y'all. I'm new to this thing, too. So, so you got to keep that in mind, all right? Um, that's, just, that's just the thing. Here's what I know. This will not be the last time we're in the book of John. I can guarantee that because this book is too rich. There are too many incredible teachings and events from the life of Christ for us not to go back and fully explore some of those individual things together. 
because some of those things make up an entire sermon series all by themselves. And so we were just able to touch on those things. Last August, like I said, we began in the book of John. I truly believe that a few years ago, this is exactly what God asked me to do one day when he called me to a position such as this. I shared this with our student leaders at our church. Um, literally, as we were talking about the book of John with our student leaders, I told them, I said, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I know one day God's going to have me in a senior leadership position. And when he does, I know that he wants me to start with the book of John. And you can ask those student leaders if I told them that, because one of them's sitting in here right now, um, and she could attest to the fact that I shared that exact thing with them. What we did was we went, we went through every book, every chapter, every verse, and we've looked at the whole book of John through the lens by which he wrote the book. Hopefully, all of you remember John chapter 20, verse 31 by this point. He wrote this book so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. John has given us a firsthand eyewitness account of the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. He included all the details he felt the Spirit was prompting him to reveal so that we might believe. And his document, even though it was written probably as much as 60 years after the fact, maybe even after the other Gospels, it is completely, entirely unique. Even though it's the same story as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it has 92% different material than those things. He records it in a different way for a different purpose, for a different audience. And from the most advanced theologians to the person in a third world country who for the very first time is able to pick up the Bible in their native language and read the Gospel of John, it can transform anyone's life. There is something for everyone. And here's my prayer, that as we have studied this together, that God has some way touched you in a new way, that he's maybe pushed you to believe in a new way, that he has compelled you to love and to serve in a new way, that he's inspired you to take this book, to, to have some confidence in your abilities to share with others, to take this book and share it with someone that does not know Jesus. Yet there's no better place to start than the book of John with someone that does not know of Jesus and who he is and what he did. And here's what I want to offer you. Please, please, please use me as a resource. When God prompts you to sit down with an individual at work during your lunch break and begin a Bible study, start in the book of John, and please use me as a resource. Email me. I can send you, I'll send you every single manuscript of every single message if you want it and could use it in some way. You can listen online. You can watch online and review those things with people. But have the confidence to sit down and share Jesus using the book of John. You've been through the whole thing with me <laughs> as, as a group, and now you need to share it with others in prayer that the Spirit will move them to believe as well. Before we start, something I often like to do anytime we do something lengthy together is I love to review. Keep in mind, I was a school teacher, so reviewing is very important um, for tests especially, but there's no test tonight. We could give you one, I guess, but there isn't one. Um, we're, we're good. And so what I want to do is we'll basically just take one thought from each chapter that we've studied throughout the book of John, all right? So hang on, listen close. As some others read this, they're like, hey, I don't even remember us talking about that. Ah, but we did. And so it's a great, great thing to do. We began with what's been called the greatest theological description of Jesus anywhere in the Bible, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. There is no BC. There was not, has never been a time before Christ. Jesus Christ has always existed. That's important for us theologically to understand and be able to share with Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. He has always been with God. We then dove into the book, and John the Baptist was the first character who we come across. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus then chose his disciples, much like he chooses each and every one of us today, to spread his love to a world in need. He began his earthly ministry by performing that first miracle at the wedding of Cana. And that news travels very, very fast. He's shortly thereafter approached by a religious leader who was trying to find out exactly who Jesus was. The man's name was Nicodemus. In this conversation, Nicodemus is challenged to consider, what does it mean to be born again? And he leaves the conversation considering the reality that maybe, just maybe, this Jesus he just had a conversation with is in fact the Messiah. Within this conversation with Nicodemus, the greatest words of Jesus ever recorded, the most famous Bible verse of all time, is found in this conversation, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And at the very end of the book of John, we find Nicodemus at the tomb of Jesus, offering expensive spices to prepare him for burial. But the question remains, did Nicodemus truly believe? Jesus then goes and meets the woman at the well. He gives her a drink of living water. Her life and the life of her community are forever changed. He heals the royal official's son without ever even seeing him. The father returns home to find his son made well by the mere words of Jesus. A man, lame for 38 years, was asked a very simple question. Do you want to get well? Jesus asked you and I, even if we're followers of Christ, the same question today. Do we want to be made well? Now, instead of saying yes, the man came up with a long list of reasons as to why he could never be made well. How about us? You see, because with just two words, get up, the power of Jesus overcame every single one of the man's excuses, and he can overcome every single one of yours and mine as well. After this healing, we watched the religious leaders begin their attack on Jesus because this healing happened to take place on the Sabbath, and of course, that would be considered work. That moment begins a movement that ultimately leads to the death of Jesus. So Jesus just backs away and kind of retreats from his ministry, right? Of course not. Jesus boldly comes out in chapter 5 and he proclaims exactly who he was. He lays out a tremendous defense and he expertly defends exactly who he is according to Jewish law and all of the customs of the Jewish people. He continues the ministry with a little act of feeding 15,000 plus men, women, and children with a boy's lunchable proving to everyone that he's more than enough. That miracle created a huge following, but those people weren't hungry for truth. Those people were hungry. They wanted more free food. He shares with them that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you and I believe that same thing today? Is that who Jesus is to you? Do we rely on him for our every provision? Jesus ended that teaching with some bread that was a little too tough for the crowd to swallow. 
Jesus is the bread of heaven, and we all must eat of that bread and drink of his life so that we too might live. But that was too much for the crowd that day. You see, there's more to belief than just a free lunch or just repeating a few words. The numbers assigned to this verse at the end of this this conversation Jesus has with those people, John 6, 6, 6. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You'll see, as the teaching gets tough, as people get challenged and pushed to believe, folks start to disappear. This is a sad and revealing moment, not just in Jesus' ministry, but in any ministry that's pursuing the truth of Christ together. Jesus is now on the run a little bit. He's kind of in hiding, avoiding the religious leaders who have now began to plot to try to kill him. His biological brothers, his own family, doesn't even believe in him. They think he's a madman. Jesus begins to teach within this huge festival, the festival of the tabernacles, and the people are in awe. Who is this guy? How can he do this? But you see, they can't come to an agreement as to who he actually is. At the very end of this festival, Jesus rises up in the temple and says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Temple guards have been sent in to arrest Jesus, but they just stand in awe. They can't arrest him. They can't believe what they just heard. They're overcome by the power and the authority of Jesus' words. They go back to report that they didn't do their job. Then John shifts gears completely and shares a moment from the ministry of Jesus where he stood before an angry mob, a mob that was ready to literally kill a woman in that very moment based on the words of Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And with one sentence, not a lengthy speech, not an hour-long presentation, no, one sentence, the entire mob goes home. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The question to us, who do you and I condemn? What people group, what person, what individual, whatever it is, who is it that you just can't get past? You have condemned them to hell no matter what they do. Be challenged by this passage because that's not our job. Our job is to love others. Jesus saves her from her sin, but he does not approve of her sin. He also does not condemn her in that moment. He saved her just like he saves you and I. And then after saving her from her sin, literally in that moment physically, he tells her, go and leave your life of sin. We would all do well to follow that same advice. John next records Jesus' claim that he's the light of the world. And we took a moment and we looked at a real life, real world example of that light on display through a young man named Tyler Trent from Indiana. A young man that lost his battle with cancer earlier this winter. But before he died, he let his light shine literally all over the world because of a little bit of fame he gained by being a Purdue Boilermaker fan. Not even the darkness of physical death could put out the light of Jesus within him, and he was very clear about that. In chapter 8, Jesus promises freedom, true freedom, if If you hold to my teaching, if you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth is the only thing that will set you free. Jesus heals the man born blind on the Sabbath. This instance is probably the source of the most famous Christian hymn of all time. This man's story led us to learn that he once was blind, 
but now he can see. The lives that the recording of this miracle has changed in the last 2,000 years, impossible to count. And then Jesus begins to share another role that he hadn't shared with the disciples that he was to play, that of the good shepherd, one who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. A great story, a great illustration, and he could have left it at that, but he didn't, did he? Not only did he share this story, but he was willing to follow through as he was the good shepherd and is the good shepherd who willingly laid down his literal life for you and for me. Then Jesus steps into totally new territory of anyone ever, any servant of God ever, as he shares these words with Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, Martha's brother and Jesus' friend Lazarus had just passed away a few short days ago. Martha believes in the resurrection in the final days, but for her brother Lazarus now, after he's been dead for four days? No, no. And once again, with two simple, three simple words, if you use his name, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> Jesus defeats death. Jesus demands that death releases its hold on a man, and death responds. That's unusual. And as a result of this sign, the Pharisees had their own coming to Jesus moment. They realized that when word gets out of this sign to all of the people, all of the people are going to come to Jesus. And this is a problem because in their minds, they're going to lose their power, their authority, what they believe to be their lives, their well-being. They're convinced that they're going to have to die to self and everything that they think is important is kind of going to go away. And Jesus would say, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what he asks of you and I today. His response the response of those that were present that day at the healing of Lazarus, well, one of his closest followers, a woman named Mary, who happened to be the sister of Martha and Lazarus, took the occasion of a dinner to humble herself before Jesus and make a tremendous sacrifice for her Lord as she broke open that jar of perfume and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. An example to every single one of us that at the end of the service, we took a moment to consider how we might serve what part of our life we wanted to bring forward and pour out and place in a jar right here on the table in front of me do you remember what you wrote on that sunday morning have you followed through with what you offered up to jesus on that day jesus then enters the jerusalem to the mighty praise of a large gathering crying out hosanna savior save us jesus they were seeking a conquering king and truly, that is what they received. Jesus conquered the power of sin and death. Jesus set all, will set all of those that are willing to come to him free from the bondage of sin, but they missed it. They were deceived by their desire for political, religious, financial freedom from the Romans, so they missed it. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world was right in front of them, and they missed it. Can I just remind you of something? Jesus is right here today in this very room with you and I. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. We then have the short miniseries, no greater, right then around the Easter time. There's no greater injustice that's ever been served on an innocent man than that of Jesus. No greater sacrifice will ever be made than what Jesus made for you 
and for me. There was no greater despair than that which the disciples and his closest followers felt at the loss and the death of Jesus. A despair that is very real in the lives of all that do not have a relationship with Jesus to this very day. Because as of this moment in time, their eternity is hopeless without him. And then, of course, there's never, ever been a greater recorded victory in all of human history than that of Jesus overcoming the cross and death through his resurrection. The cornerstone of our faith, the thing that everything else hinges on, it changed everything for everyone. And here we are at the very end of the book of John. Last few weeks, we've covered the last teachings of Jesus just prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now here we are on a lake, in a boat, the Sea of Galilee to be specific. The disciples had been told that Jesus is going to meet them there. Matthew records that in chapter 28, verse 7. And this event takes place sometime after Jesus has already met with the disciples two other times when they were locked in the room, first without Thomas and then with Thomas. So this last chapter of John, chapter 21, if you're not there already, please go ahead and turn it with me because it's a very, very important story that John shares with us in a very interesting way for him to end the book. Because the last chapter of John truly tells the story of a man, a single man who had deserted Jesus, a man who had renounced Jesus, claiming that he never even knew him, a man who had met with Jesus on two previous occasions after the resurrection, and he probably believes there is hope for everyone but him. How could Jesus love me? How could he forgive me for what that I have done? How could he use me in any possible way in this ministry moving forward? Now, I'm sure Peter was glad for the other disciples, but he saw absolutely no path for himself moving forward. That question is real for many of us as well. Have any of us ever went so far in the wrong direction that we felt Jesus was just simply too far away? Have any of us ever messed up so bad that no one's words could come for us? The thought of asking for forgiveness even seems pointless. Who could ever forgive me? I have done too much. I've gone too far. I've betrayed a trust. I've failed a test. I've lied one too many times. I've lost my cool. I've broke my promise. I've lost my job. Maybe I couldn't control my tongue, my addiction, my anger. Maybe it's a battle with sin and that battle is ongoing and you just can't win it. You see, if that's you and you're listening today, then I promise you that God has you on purpose here today on purpose and for a purpose. So listen very closely to the scene that John records for us, only I want you to do something different. And this applies to all of us, whether you're struggling with this in this moment of life or not. Put your name in the story. When we hear the word Peter or Simon Peter, delete that name and insert in your mind your name every time you hear it. Because maybe it's time for you and I to take a little walk with Jesus. Begin reading with me. John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, well, I'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around them, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be exact. But not even with so many was the net torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew It was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What we've got to understand is the disciples have been waiting. We do not know exactly how long it was. We know that the first meeting with Jesus was very shortly after the resurrection. The second one was a week later because that's when Thomas was at at the meeting. He showed up at that one and found Jesus. That was a good thing. But then there's a gap, and we don't know exactly how long the gap is. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. He had told them, I'm going to meet you near the Sea of Galilee, but when? When all of the men had now returned home with their fantastic tale of this resurrected Jesus, I wonder who they told. Did they share this event with anyone? When they shared it with people, did people look at them like, you're nuts. What are you talking about? That doesn't happen. Or did they keep the story to themselves? Probably with heads bowed down in shame, returning home, wondering and waiting, what was Jesus going to reveal to them next? You see, those details aren't recorded for us. So the question then becomes, well, what would you have done? You've followed Jesus for three years. He's died. He's resurrected. You've met with him twice. He's now told you to go home and wait for him. Would you have shared the story with your family and friends? Would you have shared the story with anybody in your community? Or would you have kept it to yourself? So what do they do? Well, they go back to what they know. And of course, Peter was the one leading the way. Hey, guys, let's go fishing. We haven't done that together in a while. You know what I've always wondered? Was this their first time all together back in a boat going out to fish since Jesus called them out of it? Now, we know they were in a boat with Jesus, but is this their first time back since he said, hey, guys, come follow me? Can you imagine the conversations that happened in the boat that night? Their past lives as fishermen were kind of brought back up all of the time They'd been on that very water together. Any of you that have ever been away from home for a long period of time and return know what happens automatically when you come home. You begin to reminisce and think about things that happened in the past. You can't help it. They spent the entire night together and caught absolutely nothing. Were they upset or frustrated? Honestly, probably not, if you think about it. I bet they just enjoyed the time together away from everything. Now, I'm sure that Peter probably caught a little heat for the failed attempt to fish because clearly he'd forgotten how and his time away, but there were probably quite a few laughs as well. But you know, at some point in the evening, the conversation turned to Jesus and their future. Jesus said he would meet them, but when? But where? What was he going to tell them? What was going to be this news? What was next? 
And then in the back of the boat, you have Captain Peter sitting there, who, by the way, just as a side note, just failed miserably again. Might have been joking around just fine with everyone, but they failed to catch any fish, and that was his profession. And he couldn't even do that anymore. When all of a sudden, come morning, a familiar voice calls out to them from the shore. The man somehow knows that their fishing trip was an utter failure. Was he making fun of them? Was he mocking them? Was he calling out their failure? Or was he just offering some friendly advice? Because any of you who are fishermen know, of course, when you cast on the other side of the boat, they'll, they'll, you'll catch them there, right? After a long day of fishing. That never works. That's impossible. So what did they do? Well, for some strange reason, they listened to that voice from the shore. And a miracle ensued. Now, this is important because this is the only recorded miracle of Jesus after the resurrection. A strange man on the shore with a simple command illustrates obedience. The obedience of the disciples. Even when the request made absolutely no sense at all, there was no way it would ever work. When the net was overwhelmed to the point that they can't even pull it in, John put all the pieces to the puzzle together. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's only one guy that could do that. And hold up. Luke, chapter 5, a long night of fishing. They didn't catch anything. Jesus says, hey, throw the nets over there. And what happened? Ah, I remember this incident. Peter hears John say this and is like, Jesus, I'm out of here, literally, jumps into the water, takes off swimming, a nice little 100-yard dash, if you will, to the shore to go and find Jesus. But why? Why did he jump out of the boat? What was he seeking in that moment? What was the purpose of this miracle? That's a great question. Jesus could have easily just stood on the shore and said, hey, guys, it's me. I'm over here. Let's have breakfast. I'm ready to talk. But Jesus instead took the moment, as he always did, to remind them of something, in particular their calling. Jesus had called out to them in Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The men listened and obeyed Jesus' command to try the other side of the boat and success had ensued. Now they must listen to the guidance of the Spirit as they begin to fish for men. The success that they had listening to the Spirit is pretty obvious. There's a really easy way we can tell, church. You and I are here today, aren't we? They were pretty effective in their mission, weren't they? Absolutely. But why was Peter the first to shore? Well, there's the obvious one. He wanted to beat John. Those of you that are with us, John won the last race. He wasn't going to let that happen again. You know, guys. But there was probably something beyond that. Was he seeking approval? From Jesus, Did he want to confess his sin of denial, but he just didn't know how to? Was he once again trying to prove his love for Jesus? Just like the bold declaration he made to Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you, I will die for you, which of course proved to be just mere words for Peter. Whatever Peter's reason for rushing to Jesus, Jesus saw through it all, and instead he sought time out alone with Peter. So once again, we're going to read this account, but I want to ask you, delete the name Simon Peter from your ears and hear your name each time it's spoken. When they finished eating, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. (laughs) Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now this description would indicate that Jesus and Peter had gone for a long walk together. Notice that Jesus initiated the conversation and the walk. I envision Peter walking side by side now with Jesus, eyes glued to the floor, to the ground. Feelings of guilt and shame overwhelming him. The man that he had once confessed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Peter had betrayed and denied ever even knowing him. And now Jesus has proven to everyone exactly who he is. And Peter is left with nothing but regret. You see, if only he had been faithful, if only he had been strong, could you imagine how incredible the relationship, the bond with Jesus would be in this moment? But I ask you, if you know Peter and you know his character, how full of pride would Peter have been in this moment if he had not been humbled in this way? So as Peter stares at the ground, Jesus casually asks him a simple but very loaded question. Peter, do you love me more than all those other guys sitting back there around the fire? Now remember, Peter had earlier said to Jesus that he loved him so much he would never deny him. In fact, he would give his very own life for him. And here's the thing, Jesus knows that. Peter remembers that. So when he got asked this question, do you love me? Peter's eyes would have gone up from the ground directly to Jesus, eyes wide open and said, yeah, Yeah, I love you. Come on, Jesus. You know that, right? Jesus replies, oh, you do. Well then, well then, are you willing to be a good shepherd? Are you willing to lay down your life for the sheep like I just did? So they walk on. I don't think the next question was immediate. I think they walked for a little while before Jesus asks again, Peter, Chris, do you love me? Peter's response, identical. Jesus, you know that I do. Maybe Jesus didn't hear his answer the first time. Maybe Jesus was looking for confirmation. Maybe you can see Jesus walking beside Peter, casually nodding his head, maybe even a half smile, just kind of a little smirk like, yeah, 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 you do, yeah. You see, as Jesus was having this conversation with Peter, do you realize that Jesus already knows the ends of the earth that Peter will go to for him throughout the rest of his life? The links Peter will go to share the gospel of Jesus with others? Jesus knows all of this as he's having this conversation with Peter. So he probably looks at Peter and says, yeah, you're right. You do. 
But Peter isn't on the same page yet. He still doesn't understand what's happening. So Jesus asks him a third time. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. There's a confession right there in case you missed that. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was hurt. Why? Why was he upset? Was he upset because Jesus didn't seem to believe him? Because Jesus was ignoring the response completely? I don't think that was it. I think Jesus just struck a nerve. As at this moment, Peter realized his past had just been exposed to Jesus. Peter had confessed just seconds ago that Jesus knows everything. And he's absolutely right. Jesus knows that Peter denied him three times. Peter was fully exposed. And as Jesus asks that third question, I can see Jesus this time looking directly into Peter's eyes as he asks the question. Now Peter is forced to face his past and realize that Jesus knows every single thing that they've done. And yet here is Jesus taking Peter aside to meet with him one-on-one, face-to-face. You see, Jesus is reinstating Peter. He's extending the exact same forgiveness to Peter that he extends to every single one of us. Jesus had never stopped loving Peter just like he'll never stop loving you and I. He's now empowering Peter to resume his call to share the good news. He's helping Peter get over, let go of his past, and look ahead to this future as a leader in the church. And after Peter's final confession, Jesus tells him that one day he's going to be led away because of his faith in Jesus. This isn't a warning to Peter. This is a glimpse into Peter's future, a future that Jesus knows Peter will faithfully follow Jesus all the way, literally until his death. Peter would never, ever deny Jesus again. I pray that this example that Jesus left for us offers every single one of us the proof of the fact that he will never leave us, nor he will, for, will he forsake us. Even when you and I fall short, he still loves us. He still pursues us. And this is the key. Peter did not come to Jesus here. Did you notice that? Peter did not go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Jesus went to Peter and said, Peter, I know everything you've done. And I still love you. And I still need you. And here's your task. Peter, you're restored. Just like he comes to you and I today. No matter what we've done, what we've pursued, what mistakes we've made, Jesus is still right there with us saying, hey, I know what you've done. I love you. Do you still love me? It's an important question. Peter turned and saw the disciple, John, who was following them. John was nosy. That's how he got all this information. When Peter saw him, He asked, Lord, what about that guy? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what's it to you? (laughs) Think about that. Peter, it's not a competition. Shut up. Don't worry about him. I'm talking to you right now. Forget about that. Because of this rumor spread among the believers that John would never die. But Jesus didn't say that to say that John would never die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, What does it matter to you, Peter? Focus on what you're called to do. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony 
is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. You see, John offers in this last phrase, his testimony is proof of the truth of this book and the details within. He throws in one last little element for us to consider that there is no possible way to record every incredible thing that Jesus has done during his time on earth. But I challenge you with a couple of things. First of all, I love that he leaves us to wonder. Have you ever read that passage before in the light of, I wonder what else he did? And just dreamed and thought about all the things possible that Jesus could have done while he was walking this earth. But I think there's another reason as well that the, all of the works of Jesus could not be recorded in one book or all of the books of the world. It's because not only did John not record everything that happened during Jesus' life, but what all has Jesus done through people since his life? What all is he even doing right now in your life? We're at the end of the book of John. It's kind of bittersweet for me because I love this book so very much. And so as I prayed and contemplated how could we end this series, how could we tie a neat little bow on it, satisfy everybody, make it nice and easy to move on to the next thing, I instead just want to offer two, actually three, because I want to make sure we included everybody to close this. Number one, I truly do believe that God called us to study this together as the body of Christ. We could all start off in the same page with Jesus. We've all learned the same things. We've all studied the same words of John, who he is, what he did, and how much he loves every single one of us. The second thing I'm going to have to defer to John to, John chapter 20, verse 31. If we study this book for any other reason, then we have failed, because this was his attempt. This is why he wrote it. But these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So do you believe? Have you claimed that life that he has to offer in his name? Have you shared that life with others yet? If not, it's time. You are ready. The Spirit has prepared you to share this life of Jesus with other people. Jesus does not demand that we come to him. All he does, just like John showed us, was place a call upon our lives. He asks us, hey, come and see. Come check me out. Come learn who I am. Follow me for a little while and see what I'm all about. And then, and then, believe. You see, it's impossible to be the presence of Jesus and not be changed. Church, our goal is to invite the presence of of Jesus into our lives and into our church to transform us into who he wants us to be, both individually and as the church, the big C church, spreading the word to the world. Through this power and the power of Jesus alone, we have the power to change the world. Then there was an insert that I asked you about, and this is your part. I'm often going to ask you to participate in things. So for way too long, church has been a one-way street for communication, and I completely disagree with that. How often did Jesus just give a lecture and never ask for questions? He always asked the disciples, did you understand that? Did you get that? Or the disciples always had the freedom to ask questions and Jesus follow up later on. Have you ever noticed that? There were people in the crowd that would shout out questions to Jesus, and he would answer it isn't a matter of coming and listening and just digesting the scriptures for yourself and figuring it out on your own. That's not why we're here. We're in this together. And so we're constantly going to be giving you opportunities to participate. And I know this is new. And as a result, you are very hesitant to participate. 
All I can do is continue to urge you to participate. Faith is not just a one-way street. It's back and forth. It's give and take. It's learn from each other. That's what we're called to do. It's a community of believers, and I want you to have the freedom to do that. And so that's why that insert is in there. I want you to take a moment and write an answer to that question. What does it mean to believe? We've been asking that question since we started in August. What does it truly mean for you to believe? What does that look like in your life? There's a chance for you to share part of your testimony here. There's a really good chance when you turn these in that we're going to be following up with some of these things that you write down because what you don't understand is this. When you write your information down, what you believe, what you're saying has the power to transform someone else who's searching for something you've already found. So make sure you write your name on that sheet and be very honest. Even if your question, your answer to that is, I don't know yet, I'm still learning. Write down how you're still learning, where you are stuck in this process. But be honest, what does it mean to believe? If you haven't come to know Jesus, if you haven't claimed your belief just yet, then today is the day to come and do that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gospel of John and the tremendous, tremendous influence that it's played through the millennia since the time of Christ. Father, the reason we studied is so that we may believe and have life in your name. And Father, we need to transfer that life to others. We need to share this belief, this faith that we found with others that don't know you yet. May this be the tool that people can use to share this faith. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for this time. I am so thankful for the opportunity to get to share your love in this way with others. And I pray that you use our time we've spent together since August to empower these people, anyone listening, to go and share this gospel with others so that they too may believe. And Father, if there's anyone here today that has not come to the point of belief yet, but today is the day that the Spirit moves them into that belief, I pray that they're willing to come forward and acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior and begin that walk with you. And Father, if there's anybody here like Peter who just don't believe that there's any hope for them, they've done too much, gone too far, broken off too many relationships, made too many bad decisions, that Father, I pray like Peter, you will take a walk with them today. That walk come right down this aisle and we can meet them in prayer. And Father, like Peter, you can reinstate them into your family once again with your love. In Jesus' name we pray.